Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Good afternoon. Welcome to Fishhawk Live and the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Today, our guest is pro walleye angler Ed Stahusky. Ed, thanks so much for joining the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. I look forward to this. If you have any questions for Ed, go ahead and put them in the comments. Whether you're on YouTube or Facebook, uh, we'll be able to see them. But Ed, you're one of the most accomplished pro walleye anglers on tour. You've won Angler of the Year on the National Walleye Tour. You're in the top 10 all-time for winnings. Uh, the list goes on and on. What are some of the accomplishments that, that you're most proud of? You know, uh, longevity in the sport is, is a hard thing. Um, you know, a lot of guys come and go. So I, I guess I'm, I'm proud of that. I've been able to compete in uh, every championship uh, since uh, I started fishing full time as a, as a pro fishing full season. So um, probably that, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, I'll say, ups and downs in the industry and uh, even in, in my career. So, uh, but having the, you know, the persistence to stay at it, I, that's, a, that's a big part of the sport for sure. Yeah, a lot of people would like to be in your shoes. At least they think so anyway. Uh, what is it like being a, a pro walleye angler? What is that life like? You know, it, it, it's... It, it comes, it, there's a lot of ebb and flow for sure. Um, you know, you, you spend a lot of time preparing. Um, the, the actual tournament part of it is it's such a small piece uh, relative to everything else, uh, you know, you do. Um, uh, from preparing the boat to planning the trip to, you know, pre-fishing to the off-season, working uh, on seminars, uh, know working with partner companies and 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 all that good stuff it's it it is fun if if you enjoy the process it's 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 a really uh uh, i guess rewarding uh way to uh to to earn a living for sure this fall you finished third at the national walleye tour championship on otter tail lake in minnesota tell us a little bit about that experience what was it like out there fishing this fall yeah, it's it's always fun to go to a new body of water, right? Uh, I've not been to Otter Tail until uh, this past fall. Um, looked at it on a map, uh, saw a little bit online, but uh, didn't go there with a lot of pre preconceived notions on how um, you know we were going to catch them or what was going to be the winning technique. Um, kind of just you know went through the you know the whole gambit when I was there and looked for anything that uh, might be a pinch point or, or you know uh, some really spot on the spot stuff there but it, there's so much so much structure in so many different spots it is kind of mind-boggling in a way but uh you know lo and behold it was where the small bait fish bore were were the better walleye were so I uh, was able to catch quite a few each day, which I felt pretty fortunate for, uh, given, uh, you know, some of the other anglers having a, a tougher bite, you know, only going through maybe a, a handful of fish where we were going through, you know, 20 to 30 a day. So There are a lot of folks out there that would like to be where you are. You know, they want to go out and fish a lot of tournaments and be successful. Maybe they're fishing their local tournament. Maybe they go out and fish maybe one big one every year. 
how do you go ahead and, and get ready? How do you prepare for your tournaments? Uh, what is something that maybe the average angler could do to prepare for their tournaments better? Is there something that you could help them out with there um, just to kind of get ready before they even hit the water? Yeah, I always tell this to my to my friends. First thing is get your boat right, right? So make sure that, like, you understand your electronics. You have your transducer placed right. You know, everything is, is buttoned down and, and you really know – that aspect of of your fishing i think that the electronics tools are are huge for all of us and um, they play a huge piece of of how i fish do your research ahead of time so under understanding you know maybe some seasonal movements in the lake but don't don't just take what you read online for you know gospel if you will um the other part of it is um you know having mental preparedness so much of this is is won and lost in terms of like having your your head on straight making the right decisions during the day making your right decisions during free fish and don't just go in there kind of you know dead set on this is the way i'm going to get them and that's the only way i'm going to get them because you know 90 percent of the time you go there with a preconceived notion like this is how it's going to work and then you find something different and then the last part is you don't have to be the best at every technique, but you have to be, you know, um, I guess competent in every technique. So you don't want to, you know, not go use slip bobbers or not jig or not pull lead core or not troll because it's not your forte. Have that as a, you know, capability um, that you can go and do. You don't have to be the best at it, but if you're, you're competent in it and can do it, um, it opens up more opportunities for you during the tournament because it's not always it's not always going to lay into your 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 particular strengths every time uh, depending on the on the system you're going into. So I like varying different bodies of water, you know, from small lakes to great lakes. So having that that breadth of um, capability with the different uh, techniques is pretty key, and um, that's. I guess that'd be some of the advice I'd give to anybody that's going to do it. So a lot of it just comes with time on the water. Uh, when you're on the water, what are some things that someone like yourself would could point out to somebody who's not a beginner angler, but someone who's intermediate and looking to become kind of a, a top end angler? What are some things that, that you see as far as some holes in some people's games? Yeah, it, it what I see it with even friends when I get on their boats and it's really understanding their electronics to the point where they're able to read them at speed, understand what's going on. Um, but, you know, for some of those, I'll say like macro um, pieces of the puzzle, understanding like big what's going on in the system at any point in time. Um, and then understanding current that's huge um every body of water has some degree of current and it's it's the relative differences in current that seem to make those concentrations of fish uh whether it be wind driven blowing onto a shoreline wind you know absent where the water's coming back and that that's creating a current uh you know just you know, regular movements in the system those type of things, it's it's about those relative speed differentials where 
you find those better pods of fish typically, right? The best fish will take the best spots and those best spots are where there's a relative difference in speed in the, in the water. So um, that part, I think, especially on the Great Lakes, a lot of guys miss. Um, and then in smaller systems, they miss it too. You'll catch me and any smaller system looking at pinch points right away. That's the first thing I'm going to go in and, and key in on and, you know, whether it be man-made or natural or something that, uh, you know, is obvious or something that's a little more subtle, but finding those is, is huge for me. Um, for people who are not sure, I always, it's funny that you say pinch point. I, I come from a hunting background and that's what we kind of describe those spots when we're deer hunting as, as pinch points. And even in duck hunting, I've seen pinch points. Kind of describe what a pinch point looks like if someone's looking at a map of a lake and thinking about going out there and attacking it this weekend. What should they look for? What is that pinch point that you're looking for? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, it can be as, something as obvious as, you know, it's the narrowest part of uh, reservoir, lake, or river. So it, it, it funnels down. So, you know, depending if the current's high or low, you know, you're looking at the outside or inside bend of that, that pinch point. It can be, you know, uh, an underwater point that extends way out into the, into the lake. And you can see that it's an extended flat where it's going to funnel the majority of that water around uh, that point. It can be a series of islands, right? Where they are funneling, you know, the, those islands are turning into a funnel, which is changing the current around those, those islands. So looking for, you know, basically obstructions in the water, whether they're points, the narrowing of the, of the body of water, an island, anything like that, that's going to um, divert current and kind of uh, create that difference in, in speed in the current because they use it as a conveyor belt, like, you know, food coming down down the uh, the conveyor at the grocery store to, to bring that food to them and work less, right? Anything that the they can use to work less, they're gonna they're gonna do. So you've we've been talking about some smaller bodies of water, also talking about the Great Lakes. Some of the biggest walleye tournaments take place on the Great Lakes, and you've recently started using a fish hawk uh, for your walleye fishing. Uh, we have a lot of people on here who've kind of been lifelong salmon anglers with them. Uh, but for you out of the Great Lakes, it's fairly new. Uh, tell us a little bit about your perspective, your kind of experiences uh, starting to use a fish hawk in, in your daily fishing out on the Great Lakes. Yeah, it's it's really changed my perspective on what I thought I knew what was happening and what's actually happening. So, um, a lot of guys, depending on the depth of the water, they'll say they're reading their boards more so than reading and boards being planar boards and reading the angle of the board relative to the, you know, uh, the speed at which you're trolling. So, you know, if it looks like it's just kind of moseying around, maybe maybe you're going with a current or if it's if it's hanging down low, you're pulling against a current that isn't as obvious. And that's you know, getting you relative to, you know, some probably things that are happening near to the surface. But as you, as you get into the, some of the, I'll say the mid range and deeper water in the Great Lakes, that, that doesn't always give you a full picture, you know, um, a couple times this year, both on, you know, the Bay of Green Bay and Lake Erie, 
um, when we're dropping it down, you know, we're seeing speeds of a mile an hour. And this is when we're not experiencing very heavy winds and things like that. And it was relative, it, it was happening because of what was happening on, particularly on Bay of Green Bay, what was happening in the main lake, pulling water out the top of the Bay of Green Bay and creating kind of a, a current that was getting, you know, water just sucking through the top of the Bay of Green Bay into Lake Michigan. And we're seeing, you know, three quarters of a mile an hour uh, current that was setting fish up on the structure where you would think they would be um, if it was a river system, you know, so it, it's setting up quite a bit like that. On Lake Erie, seeing the same thing happening around some, some, I'll say, settler structure that was um, along the Ohio shoreline where, you know, we're seeing one mile an hour speed differences around certain pieces of structure. And that kind of just pushed the bait into areas where there was really active walleye, you know. Um, so that was, those were both really kind of pivotal points with, with the technology for me. Also knowing that how much of a, uh, of a current there was. Um, so I was having to compensate uh, to troll with the wind in the one location where I was going 3.2 miles an hour uh, with deep diving crankbaits. A lot of people aren't going to do that. You know, it's uh, go 1.8, you know, 1.9. Oh, wow, I'm going two miles an hour. You know, I was going, you know, in excess of three miles an hour. Sometimes I go over four miles an hour with crankbaits. And that's because of I'm going with the current and and I got to get that action that I want out of that bait. So it's that relative speed to the to what's going on there. So that that really helped me quite a bit. And then seeing some in some places where that temperature was was actually changing, right? Uh, later in the season when you're starting to see some more thermal planes, even in some what are, you know, what we consider shallow water if you're salmon fishing, but for walleye guys, it's pretty deep. So, so all those, I guess, things that, you know, I thought I was understanding. I didn't really understand as much of what was going on prior to having that like that feedback from from the fish hawk for sure how difficult was it for you to trust that and kind of i know you've been fishing one way for your whole life and then you start seeing that data and it, it looks different than what you kind of thought uh how difficult is it for you to trust that and kind of set up your program with that information yeah, it, it takes a little bit of you know trust in it but you get the feedback right away from the reaction to the fish, right? When once they start snapping and you know four boards go back, you you know right away like yeah, this makes sense, right? So it's it's before what we'd be doing is just experimenting, right? So I'll maybe maybe I'll slow down a mile an hour, maybe I'll go up to three, and I'll go back and forth. Now you go, okay, this is what's going on. I know, you know half a mile back when I was trolling and I, and there wasn't any current, I was going this speed. So I need to pick it up to this. So it makes that adjustment so much faster than the guesswork we were doing before. So, yeah, I, I think the, the feedback is really the fish. So it helps. It's another, what I'll call a decision support tool. It helps you understand what you probably should do. It's still up to us as anglers to take that data and interpret it. And then the ultimate feedback is, you're getting more fish that, I mean, that's, that's what gives you the confidence in it. So that's, that's what I'd say to everybody is, you know, try stuff it, regardless of what the technology is, is getting that feedback and understanding it through uh, time and, and really exploring it. And then that feedback is 
the the actual you know getting more bites landing more fish so yeah, it's, it's great information. Ed. Um, you know, a lot of walleye anglers, this is a product that people have been using on their salmon boats for a long time, but it's really becoming a new thing on walleye boats. A lot of your walleye boats aren't going to have downriggers on them. Tell us about using the X2 and using it without the downrigger. You're, you're running it off of that short trolling rod off the side. Tell us a little bit about that setup and what it was like for you. Yeah, it's pretty simple with the X2 because, you know, you're using this little shorty rod and and you can pretty much keep that that downrigger ball attached. I just put in my cup holder and laid the, the probe down next to it with the, uh, the transducer connected um, to that line. And when I get into the area that I wanted to look at, either I was going to fish it because I saw a lot of what I wanted to see on, on my Lowrance or... Um, if, um, I was going to troll it, I would drop it in the water, uh, and start to get that, get that feedback. And a lot of times it helped me dial in exactly how fast I wanted to start trolling. And then I'd start to see those variations going, but it, it was out of the way because I could put it up in a, a front rod holder. So that cannonball on, you know, braid is going pretty much straight up and down. So you're really not getting any, um, I'll say interference with um, your electronics or interference with reeling in fish because it's kind of out of the way. You're not having to run a downer ball back where you might be bringing a fish up um, um, in you know some some shallower water. Um, so I think it worked uh, really simple for me with just that that short rod, and you could deploy it pretty fast. You put it in the rod holder, you, you know, open the bale with the clicker on and drop it down to whatever depth you wanted to, to check. It, it took, you know, seconds versus, you know, um, any other method I could even think of, of doing that. So brought up Lowrance. Uh, tell me about your boat. What are some of the highlights? Uh, how do you have it all set up? What are you running? Yeah, I currently run, uh, and I'll be running again, a uh, Ranger 620 FS. Um, and then um, I run four Lowrance Live units, um, and they're all integrated together. Um, and, you know, for me, that technology really changes, uh, you know, um, the, the efficiency that you can have on the water, right? Understanding your 2D sonar, First, understand that as best you can, especially on the Great Lakes, because you can, if you're set up right and you have your transducer set up right, you can mark fish at speed. At speed, I mean like 50 miles an hour, drive around what form um, on certain bodies of water. That's definitely within possibility. Then understanding your structure scan. Then finally, the, the you know the forward scan technology with the active target. When you get around certain pieces of structure and certain bodies of water, that that is kind of key. Um, you know, so I use those and I don't rely on one piece of that technology, but rely on all of it to kind of put the puzzle together. Um, so, um, you know, Lawrence has been a big part of my, uh, I guess, my success for, for years and uh, uh, continue to, to, to use them going forward. So. You know, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, you talked about running at speed and, and locating fish while going 50 miles an hour. And a lot of the top anglers that I've been in boats with are able to do that. But it seems like many of uh, kind of the novice type of people haven't figured that out yet. 
what are some of the kind of keys to being able to do that? Because as I've seen, it, it seems to be a, a pretty big deal when it comes to getting on fish fast. You're not trolling over unproductive water. How do you do that? I guess would be the question of people that want to get into doing that and getting mm-hmm. out on the water and being able to find fish faster. What are the keys to doing that? What are they looking for? And I think probably the thing that I see the most is just a lot of interference on screens. How do you get rid of that? Yeah, good point. Um, first step is make sure your transducer, transducer is running clean and as deep as you possibly can get it. I prefer skimmer type transducers. Some people run through haul. Me, I get a better signal with a skimmer transducer. What a skimmer transducer is, it mounts off the transom of the boat. Um, and I typically mount it as low as I can. Now, if you're unsure on where to mount it, one of the options you get uh, that, that's out there that you can do is um, transducer boards. You can mount those pretty low on your boat and move your transducer around. What you want to make sure is that transducer is level when you're, well, the way your boat's going to ride in the water so that it's, it's, it's coming in at a, a good angle and it's not tilted, you know, uh, starboard to board either. So you want to make sure that it's, it's pretty level when you, when you mount it in there. The other part is that it's not running behind anything. If you have strakes or rivets or anything like that on your boat, that you're not getting that interference. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's not vibrating, it's not moving, it's mounted pretty, pretty solid. Um, that's the first piece. Try to try to not run it next to um, another transducer that's going to deflect water into it if you can get away with it. I mount my 2D and my my uh, structure scan pretty far distance apart just to, because that that structure scan is really only good at a slower speed. Some people try to tell you that they mount it low and can read you know an excess of 10 miles an hour. It looks like the surface of the moon to me when you do it, but uh, I look at that as a low speed technology where that 2D is where I'm going to do most of my like high speed suspended type fish looking. And once you get it dialed in, so you move it a couple times, you know, on the water until you, you can see a really good signal at speed. So like, you know, move it, make sure it's solid, go drive the boat around, get a good signal. So the first couple times I did it, I probably moved it 10 times before I was happy. And the other thing I've done is when when you're in a system where you know you're catching fish and you can see them really good on your screen, here's a good thing to do to practice, especially if there's no boats around the area that that, that are fishing it really heavy. After you're done and you, you're not worried about blowing those fish out, start driving over. Drive over at 10 miles an hour. See what they look like. Drive over at 15 miles an hour. See what they look like. 20 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. And and see like how how much sensitivity you have to gain past the auto sensitivity to see it, understand you know what you're looking at. I like palette 13 so I can pick those fish up on the bottom really quick, but start playing with it till you can really start to understand this is what they look like at 20, 30, 40 miles an hour because they that signal uh, or I guess the amount of pixels that 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 same fish takes when it's at three miles an hour versus 10 miles an hour versus two miles, you know, 20 miles an hour versus 40 miles an hour. It gets really small. So paying, you know, attention to that detail. And if, if you have an idea of where they're at in the wire column, you can kind of zoom in on that area. If you're really trying to look, scan the bottom or the top more as you're, as you're going at speed. So I've played with that quite a bit, you know, just to understand um, 
what's going on uh, with the units I have. And I think that goes for all units is in making sure that you're uh, you're understanding what that that feedback that you're going to see at, at all those different speeds. But I, I'd say the biggest thing I've seen in friends boats is just transducer placement wrong. You know, you will be going and they'll slow down so they can breed at five miles an hour and then they get up on plane and they lose bottom or they're not seeing it. If you're not getting a strong signal at the, the highest speed your boat will go of the bottom, you're way off. So that just means that you're not going to mark fishing even at those more moderate speeds. So, um, so get that adjusted, right. Even if it means moving it a couple times, even if it means taking that transducer off and, and putting a, a board on and remounting it a few times, and, you know, I just get that piece right and make sure that your transducer is clean and hasn't been banged around. They are fairly sensitive. There are crystals inside the transducers. So if you banged them up a couple of times, you're better off to go get a new one and, and just place that uh, that on there. And, uh, and you get in deeper water, too. You can get some interference from the front to the back if you have multiple transducers that are running the same frequency. So just switch them, you know, run an 83 on the front, a 200 on the back if if you if you want to have multiple units on you know within 20 feet of one another i think it's 30 some feet uh water where they'll start to intercept one another so make sure you have all that kind of uh um out of the way and then you're going to be able to, to do more with those units because it makes no sense to go buy a new unit and upgrade if you're not going to have the transducer placed right even some of the older units will you know, we'll do a great job if the transducers in the right spot. So, and Rick would like to know uh, if you're. He's just kind of looking for some clarification here. Are you setting your transducer level for 50 miles an hour? Is that kind of the way you have that set up? Level at 50. You know, there's going to be a little bit of pitch change when you're you're going at different speeds. But my boat's riding pretty flat at at that speed. What you what you really want is it pretty flat when the boat's kind of running flat how you imagine it to run when it's on plane um you know as you're getting on plane and that's kicking forward of course you're going to be seeing like a little bit different view because it's it's kicking forward but you're going so slow you're still getting most of that signal back so yeah you want it at what it looks like on plane pretty level to that and then left to left to right as well you want that level which frequency is best for reading fish at speed if i'm running in uh you know, some water that's a little stained or something like that. I might flip back between 83 and, and 200, but typically I'm sticking in 200. And then uh, um, turning the sensitivity up to the point where I start to see a lot of clutter and then I back down a couple. I leave it on auto plus and I just keep going up until I start to see that clutter pretty heavy and then I back it back down. So... Uh, it's okay. I'd rather see a little bit of clutter uh, than 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 no clutter. But that I think that's more important than than the actual frequency. Um, but between the 200s and the 83s, I I don't mess around with the high chirp and the medium chirp very much. Some guys do, and they prefer it. I just I've grown accustomed to the 200 kilohertz. All right. Uh, here's one from Rob Barnes, and this one uh, may be one that I'll answer. Uh, trade-offs between running the X2 and X4D for walleye boats. Uh, Rob, you're going to see with the X2, you don't have to have a permanent mounted transducer. So like uh, what Ed was saying earlier, he's got his mounted up in front of the boat, so it's away from everything else. Uh, and uh, with the X2, you don't need to run 
a uh, downrigger as you would with the X4D. So that's going to be your your two main differences. That's why we see the X2 on so many of these guys that are out walleye fishing. They can take them off if they're going to go fish somewhere where they don't need it, and it's out of the way and, and not cluttering things up. So that's kind of the the two different things. All right, here's one from YouTube, and this one's from Mark. And Mark would like to know how far out do you set your side scan? Um, depends on the depth I'm in, but you know, I, I stick around that 80 to uh, 100 foot range quite a bit, unless uh, uh, I get some some areas where um, you know it's it's extremely shallow. I might move it in, you know, into 60 foot or less. And then if I'm out deep, of course, I'm going to have to move it out further because that 80 foot isn't going to, it's only going to give me a sliver of the actual bottom because of that cone that goes on it. But the, most of the fishing I do is like around that 80 to 100 foot range. All right. Uh, Ed, you're from Canton, Michigan. It's a Detroit mm -hmm. suburb. Is that location strategic or does that just happen to be where you live? Tell us a little bit about that. I don't know if that it's strategic. I, I am fortunate that I've got a lot of great fishing really close to me. You know, it does spoil us around here quite a bit because it's not about, not as much about fishing as, as catching, but, uh, you know, I grew up fishing around here, um, moved away for a while, lived in, uh, you know, the Iowa, Illinois area and fished the Mississippi River for a while and hunting fish out there was fun, you know, totally different experience than fishing the Great Lakes. And then, uh, you know, came back here and uh i i do fish the great lakes quite a bit there's a lot of small inland lakes around here i won't go in their names because i want them invaded but there's so much walleye fishing that you can do and learn in smaller systems and you know it gets you um you know kind of ready for reservoirs and natural lakes and things like that and uh you know it it i i can't complain about what's around here you know it's the best walleye fishing in the world, some of the best smallmouth fishing in the world, some of the best muskie fish in the world. And, you know, it's, it's pretty phenomenal what is just kind of been, you know, a half an hour drive for me. So pretty awesome. But really within, you know, maybe three or four hours to, uh, you can get to Lake Michigan, you can get yeah. to Huron, you can get to Lake Erie. Uh, tell us about, and I don't want you to give away any of your secret spots, but what are some of your favorite ports on the Great Lakes that, that you fish from? Oh, man. Um, so I go up and down the Ohio shoreline quite a bit. Uh, when Canada's open, I'll, I'll go up in the Canada and fish, uh, both on the Canadian side of Lake St. Clair and Lake Erie. I love that just because there's, there's a lot less pressure over there. So, um, when I get up in Saginaw Bay, I love the outer Bay out by the charities, you know, uh, up around Port Austin, go up the Tawas and then. So I wrap all the way up to Nalpena and fish that area. That's beautiful too. I do love like the Escanab area and just like uh, the fishing, um, you know, in Northern Green Bay, those fish, you know, they're, they're a special kind of fish. They're pretty, you know, they're really golden and uh, uh, they're a fun uh, structure oriented fish. Uh, you know, you catch a lot of them tight to the structure, which is fun. You know, it, that, you can you can do a lot in a little bit of time when you find them there. Um, I I really like those by the bar, but I also like the West. You know, um, you know, up until recently, I was winning more of my money in the Dakotas than I was out this way. Um, you know, Devil's Lake. Uh, you know, the, in North Dakota, I've had a lot of fun, a lot of success out there. It's pretty wild. You know, it flooded in the '90s and never went back down, and 
those fish are all current oriented. If, if when you figure it out there, it, it's like a night and day difference between just going there and, and fishing. But when you start to understand what's going on and, you know, I, I, I mentioned Bay of Green Bay, that one, I think I've got like a love hate with it. I'm, I love that I'm learning it and I'm getting better as I go there, hopefully. <laughs> you know, some of the locals definitely got my number uh, when it comes to that system. But, you know, that the whole process of learning those bodies of water, right? You know, what excites me. So like going to something new, you know, something that I've never been to before, you know, I'm looking forward to the only great lake I haven't caught Wallaya in yet. And I haven't fished for Wallaya yet is Lake Ontario. So looking forward to that and have some, uh, some invites to get out there and try it. So, um, you know, any place new is, is really exciting for me. So, you know, you don't catch me kind of repeating too much of what I've done before, but, you know, uh, I, I will definitely uh, explore new water and keep going. So, Jim, again, Jim would like to know if you set your planter boards to release or stay connected when landing fish and why. You know, I run offshore boards and typically what I'm doing, uh, I think it's set up right now, but um, I'll run on the front. I'm going to grab one. I have one in here. Um, so on the front clip of these is usually where I'm running one of these orange ones um, on the front. And what I do is I loop the line. It basically you twist it on your finger. There's there's a few YouTube videos that show it, and I connect that so that it'll pop off. And I'll run the the red one on the back here if I'm running either uh, a tattle flag or just a a regular one for a crankbait. But uh, what that allows you to do, so like let's say a lot of the places we fish now, you know, you have Michigan, um, Ohio, and Wisconsin all allow you to run like three rods. Um, on a lot of the systems. So if you have six rods, I'll say you're fishing with a buddy and that outside one goes and it's a small fish and you're not so worried about losing it and you wanna pop that line, you can take your rod, put a little bit of pressure on it, pull it and that it'll pop that front. That back will stay connected, but that, that board isn't gonna slide all the way down with the fish. It's just gonna stay connected. The other part that's nice is when you get a big fish, and they do what we call tombstone them or, or sinking them, burying them, whatever you call it. That board goes like this and then goes down. If you have that so it can release, you won't even have to put any pressure on it. And then that board will just come back straight in line. A lot of bad stuff happens when they pull a board underwater and that, uh, that front clip won't release. Now that fish is kind of coming and going as it will, and you're just fighting the planer board and not really feeling the fish. So I do set them to release quite a bit. There's some, some cases like super rough water and things like that where I might not, or there are all those medium-sized fish, and they're all going to kind of pull them out of the way. I might not do that, but... Most of the time I'm using mono to troll and I'm setting that front clip to release, but the back one to stay connected. Adventures are focused on walleye, but uh, what are some other species that you enjoy targeting and going after? I, I like all kinds of fish. I do do some pan fishing. I, I, I enjoy that. Uh, smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, of course. Uh, done some musky off and on. This year I did a lot of sturgeon fishing, which was kind of new to me. I actually went out to the uh, out to the west and fished the Columbia River for you know trophy uh, sturgeon, um, salmon, steelhead, um, all kinds really. So, um, but uh, I do like smallmouth quite a bit. They're they're pretty fun to catch, and there's there's a lot of them 
uh, in this area, some perch when I feel like I'm in a mood for, for, for eating some fish for sure. But, uh, that's, that's mainly what I stick to, but, uh, I'd say primarily walleye. You're on the road a lot. You get traveling all over the place. What are some of your favorite restaurant stops along the tour? What are some places that, you know, if you're heading that way, you're definitely stopping there for a meal. Oh man. And, you know, I hate to say it. We, we, we rent houses a lot and eat a lot at, at back at the place, but, um, Oh man, some places that I have to go to. I mean, um, I don't know. There's, there's always, uh, you know, the old standby when I'm in Port Clinton, um, and I want a, a, a good dinner is uh, Waldo peppers out there. That one's always a good one. Um, boy, I'm now I'm forgetting the place up in Bay city, Michigan, that has a really good Polish food. You know, you can imagine with my last name, I love Polish food. Yeah, you're really stumping me on this one. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not a really good food hound when it comes to fish. I do have a little bit of a, like, I, I'm kind of like compulsive when it's tournament time. I fish from sun up to sundown. So sometimes I forget to eat. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, and, and then I get back and I just force food, food in my face, drink some water and go to sleep. So yeah, you have a more defined jawline than I do. So I, I can see that maybe, maybe you're not as obsessed as I am when you get on the road. So we'll, yeah. we'll give you a pass on that one. Uh, what are you looking forward to in 2022? You know, getting back at it. Um, what I'm excited about is, you know, getting back to normal a little more, right? With, with COVID kind of hopefully going away, you know, God willing and government willing um, that we can see that go away. Um, you know, seminars again, you know, boat shows. I do enjoy seeing everybody in the, the winter months. So there's a few of them I tentatively have scheduled now. So I will be in Indianapolis for that one and maybe a few others. Um, you know, getting back to that part of it. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a big part of, you know, I think the camaraderie and, and, getting to see everybody outside of the fishing stuff. And then I'm really looking forward to our season next year. Um, the first one, especially they put it in my backyard, which is nice. And, and they made it a river only event. Uh, so, you know, that'll kind of limit how far guys have to go. And then, and it'll open up the doors for some guys that maybe didn't want to make, you know, huge runs and other events and can stay just in Detroit river. And I'll, I'll throw this out there at my other competitors. If, if you can't, you know, catch fish in 30 mile long Detroit river or afraid to do it. You probably shouldn't be doing <laughs> all events. If you need the lake to go fish, just saying it, if anybody's, you know, complaining about that, but the rest of the season too, um, you know, got some great stops. Chamberlain's it, it, it was a lot of fun last year. I didn't do real well. So I'm looking for a chance to redeem myself there, you know, get back to Marinette, fish that quite a few times. Um, and then a new part of Lake Erie I haven't fished before we're gonna you know our championship is way out on the east in in New York so that's exciting you know so definitely definitely looking forward to exploring that water and and, and learning that quite a bit when I'm out there so I'm looking forward to that whole that whole part of the season for sure well, we really appreciate you coming on today Ed. it was really fun to talk to you and really for me just to get to know you and mm -hmm. uh, appreciate you coming on is there something that you wanted to talk about today that I didn't ask you about no, you know, I just, uh, I'll throw this out there for everybody. You know, um, you can always contact me online. I, it, my uh, page on uh, Facebook is Ed Stosky Pro Wild Angler. It sounds pretty, uh, you know, 
pretty snooty, but it's like fishing all the time. Message me anytime uh, on there if you have questions, just in general, fishing, electronics, boats, that type of stuff. Uh, you know, I love talking fishing. So, um, so get a hold of me of that. And, and, you know, if you haven't had a chance to, to fish in some tournaments or are interested in, you know, National Walleye Tour, get a hold of me. I'll, I'll give you the full scoop on what it's like. But, uh, you know, if you're interested in getting the next level but don't want to quite make the step into that pro part yet, there is a co-angler thing where you can sign up and fish with pros, which you learn some doing that. But, uh, I, you know, I guess encourage everybody to, you know, enjoy the sport whatever way you can. And, you know, uh, you just, you know, maybe we, we can all kind of work together and, and keep, keep the sport alive and growing as, as, uh, as we go. So. All right, Ed, really appreciate you coming on. I uh, appreciate everybody joining today. Uh, the audience was great. A lot of excellent questions. Uh, again, thanks so much to everyone, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.